Parish, it's Friday, November 8, 2019. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me, and today is the fourth day of this college basketball season. Hopefully, we both slept a little since we last recorded, middle of the night, Madison Square Garden. For those keeping track, through three days of this season, no ranked teams have lost to unranked teams. Ranked teams remain undefeated against unranked opponents, and that includes Virginia. And I want to start there because Norlander was at the Carrier Dome earlier this week to watch the reigning national champion, not the defending national champion, the reigning national champion, open its season against unranked Syracuse. And Tony Bennett's 11th ranked Cavaliers, they had no real issues. They won 48-34. Virginia replaces three starters from last season's title team. Still, regardless, incredible defensively. They hold Syracuse to 34 points. Syracuse only shot 23.6% from the field, 17.2% from three-point range. So Virginia basketball is still very much Virginia basketball, and Jim Beheim is still grouchy. Norlander, uh, let's talk Virginia's performance first, then Jim's post-game comments. Mm-hmm. What did you think of the new look but still suffocating Virginia Cavaliers? Offensively, disgusting. Uh, there's a lot of, There's a lot of room for growth for, for Virginia's offense. Uh, defensively, Beheim said afterward that going into the game, he thought defensively Virginia would be better this season than it was last season. And while he didn't say this explicitly, I think that's in part because for as good as Ty Jerome and Kyle Guy were, they were adequate but not high-level defenders. And maybe on the whole, uh, given what Virginia has, uh, they could be a better defensive unit. But still, even the, the prospect of Virginia being better as a, as a defensive group this season versus last is, uh, is quite scary. Although I believe they finished fifth in defensive efficiency last season. Was not the best group ever under Tony Bennett. Um, but yeah, the, the offense was rough. But I'll tell you what, a lot of crazy stats came out of this game on the Virginia side. First of all, this is this is wild. First, it, it was an ACC opponent to open the season. We'll get to that with Beheim in a minute here. But Virginia's never lost an ACC opener under Tony Bennett. Every single time they've had their first conference game, they've won. I thought that was kind of wild. Um, credit to the great Chuck Culpepper, who was there on hand for the Washington Post uh, on Wednesday night. Over the past four games that Syracuse has played Virginia, it is 72 for 213 from the field. 33.8%. I mean, that's just a miserable existence. And it's got to be interesting for Bayheim Parish in that obviously he runs uh, a distinct defensive system with the 2-3 zone that has obviously proved to be the right way to go about it for him over the course of more than four decades as a coach. In fact, this is the 44th season for Bayheim as a coach, and they manage just 34 points. But for him to run up against uh, Bennett and his scheme, I mean, it's got to be something that he just absolutely dreads uh, at this point, no matter the personnel on the floor. Uh, Virginia has Syracuse's number overall, D- Bennett in particular. Um, Bennett is 7-1, and one, uh, or Sy- Sy- Virginia is 7-1 and one against Syracuse in the ACC, which is wild. Virginia's won four straight against Syracuse. Um, and Bennett himself is 7-2 and two all time. Here's a couple more things, though. This is I, – I can't – like, everyone wants to make a lot about Syracuse only scoring 34 points, and that is wild. That's the lowest ever under Behind, the lowest since World War II, carried home record. Obviously, the last time Syracuse was this low, they played something called the Sampson Navy. <laughs> like, what? But uh, it was the first time since 1990 – this is crazy. For Virginia Parish, the first time since 1993 – that three Cavaliers had at least 10 rebounds in a game. And the last time it happened 
one of the players is now a current assistant coach. Jason Williford was one of three along with Yuri Barnes and Junior Burrow Parrish. Didn't even bother going to a trivia time with you there because I know you wouldn't even have it. But how about this? Kihei Clark got his first career double-double. He gets 11 rebounds. He's the. F- this is according to Virginia. He's the first player in ACC play under 5'11 to have at least 11 rebounds in a game since 1999 when it was – I don't even re- – shout out to this dude. I don't remember him playing. Virginia's Donald Hand. Do you, do you recall who Donald Hand was, GP? I have no recollection of Donald Hand. Donald Hand, uh, good with the hand, was the last time – a player under 5'11 in the ACC had at least 11 boards in a game. Shouts to Kihei Clark for getting his first career double-double. Jay Huff also had a career-high 12 uh, rebounds. And on the whole, uh, for Virginia, offensively a long way to go. Um, but to step into the season, even with a uh, makeover of a roster, and to put up one of the historic defensive performances in program history. I mean, one more stat for you. I mean, this was – I had it in my column, GP. This is insane. Where is it? This, this is the 24th time. This is stupid. This is the 24th time Virginia has held a team under 40 under Tony Bennett. That's, that's incredible, considering the way modern basketball has been trending toward in the past decade. 24 times, and obviously, Virginia's never lost any of those games because even if they do have offensive issues, they're normally cracking 40. So, yeah, just uh, an incredible performance overall and wound up not being the exact kind of game I thought it would be, but I did think Virginia would win with some comfort, and uh, it looked ugly, but uh, they had the the crowds leaving with more than five minutes to go there in the Carrier Dome. You know, for, forget holding somebody under 40%. They held these dudes under 24%. 23.6% shooting from the field. Not even one out of every four shots Syracuse took went through the rim. Just absolutely incredible. And you mentioned that Jim Beheim at this point must hate coaching against uh, Tony Bennett. I, I think it's probably safe to assume everybody hates coaching against Tony Bennett because he's going to slow the game down um, to a tempo at which you're probably uncomfortable, or at least you don't want to be there. And then he's just going to make it impossible for you to score. Uh, right now, uh, Virginia ranks first in defensive efficiency. Past six seasons, check this out, 2019 ranked fifth. 2018 ranked first, 2017 ranked second, 2016 ranked seventh, 2015 ranked second, 2014 ranked fourth. Past six seasons, three top five finishes, never lower than seventh in defensive efficiency. The average finish is 3.5. And it'd be one thing if this were the NBA and they had a dynasty going and it was the same core year after year after year. That's not reality in college basketball. The dudes who were finishing second in 2015 got nothing to do Mm -hmm. with the team that's ranked number one right now in defensive efficiency. It doesn't matter the cast of characters. It doesn't matter who leaves, who comes back, who enrolls, who gets suspended, who gets kicked off the team. Virginia is going to guard you every single year at at, at the very – Better than basically everybody else, or at least as well as everybody else. I I would make this argument that nobody, year after year after year, is better at anything in college basketball than Virginia is at guarding the opposition. I want to spring on to a tweet you had when I was at the game that I saw that you quote tweeted me. All right, let's say Tony Ben. Let's legitimately try and guess what would be the outcome here. Let's say... Tony Bennett 
takes the number 10, approximately the number 10 team in Division II basketball, that entire roster, okay? And he inherits that roster in, in June before a season starts, okay? Nothing but D2 players. They, they, they go through the run-up of the preseason, and he fields that, that roster. Would um, Two questions. What, with the schedule that Virginia has in front of it, how many wins do you think Tony Bennett gets with that Division II roster? And does Tony Bennett, even with a roster full of Division II players, still manage to have a top 25 defense in America? I think the wins would be tough because at some point, I mean, you, you've got Division Two players and you're playing Division One basketball. Mm-hmm. I, I think it would be tough to win consistently. Although, honestly, if anybody could do it, I would. It would be him. Defensively, if you told me they weren't, um, I, even if they were Division Two players, if you said, "Listen, they are Division Two caliber basketball players, but they're not lacking size and they're good enough athletes." I think he could still have a top 15 defense in the country. If you just told me, like, he's not playing with a 6'5 center. Like, he, he's the, 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 yeah. the, the player, even at Division II caliber players, they measure properly for the position that they're playing, for the most part, and they're good enough. Not great, but good enough athletes. I don't care about basketball players. Just they can move. They're, they're tall enough, and they can move. He'd still have a top 15 defensive team in the country. I'd say I'd say the chances of having a D two roster and getting top fifteen would be tough. Uh, top thirty, I'd buy it, and I think that Tony Bennett, and this is, on a certain level, like you t- almost any other coach, is going to be the case. I think Tony Bennett could win twelve or thirteen games against his current schedule with a D two roster, which is just it's stupid. That should not that should not be the case. You take most other coaches, give them D two players against their current schedule. And they're going to struggle getting out of the single-digit column. But because of the scheme he runs, the way that there's – I was talking with one of the Virginia assistants after the game. And he said, you know, it just takes a certain kind of player, a certain kind of mindset to play for Tony and to play at Virginia. There are certain guys, for many reasons, that they, that they will not recruit. You need to have a specific kind of approach – and humility about yourself to throw yourself into playing into that system. And then, yeah, eventually the rewards come when you look up and year after year after year, you are a top two team in the conference. You are fighting for one and two seeds there. And so with all of that as backdrop and to see what Bennett has been able to do um, is somewhat regardless of personnel. I mean, we're, as you just stated earlier, Parrish, I mean, it's just year after year after year. And D2 players are still like, they're, don't get me wrong. Like they're talented. There are dudes who have jumped from D2 to D1 and become like impact D1 players there. So I do think that he could win 12 or 13 games, which is uh, absurd. But I had never thought about it. But, you you know, you brought it up on Twitter in the midst of this game when just you, you see a Virginia team that is like, okay, how good will they be or not be? And they hold uh, – granted, I know Syracuse isn't maybe even a top 50 team, but you're starting on the road in the Dome against a Hall of Fame coach – and, you know, Syracuse has some length. And you win by 14 points and don't even score 50? A uh, few things, I guess, be- better define Virginia, the good and bad of it, than what they did on Wednesday night. Here's one for you, and then we'll move on. So, um, according to Ken Palm, the worst team at this moment in the ACC is Wake Forest. They're 82nd um, in, in the country, uh, four spots behind Clemson. Wake Forest is, according to Ken Palm, projected to finish last in the ACC. If you gave Tony Bennett Wake Forest roster in, you know, on, on April 15th, uh-huh. where would they finish in the ACC? 
top six? <laughs> Probably. It's Probably. crazy. I, I, if anyone disagrees with that, I'd need, to, I'd need to see your case otherwise because just look at the history of what Bennett has been able to do from turning around Washington. He got Washington State to be a three-seed and a four-seed in back-to-back years, and he only coached there three seasons. Um, <laughs> there's just no, there's no saying otherwise, man. There really isn't. I mean, he inherited his worst team ever was the first team he had at Virginia, and that was 15-16 and 16 with a 5-11 and 11 record in the conference. But since 2012... They've basically been rolling, made the tournament every year except one. And even the year they didn't make the tournament, they won 23 games and won 11 in the ACC. So, yeah, I think, like, the floor for Tony Bennett coaching the Wake Forest roster is six. And if you told me it was high as four, I totally believe it. So, oddly, the biggest storyline coming out of the game wasn't actually Virginia's win. It was Jim Boeheim's postgame comments. He ripped the ACC um, because he didn't like the idea of opening with a league game. Shouts to you, Norlander. You actually asked the question that got the quote that created all of the national headlines. Um, the quote was, you never want to play these league games early. It's stupid. It's just a money grab. They got scheduled games for TV, for the TV contracts, so you've got to play games early, and then somebody had the brilliant idea to open up the first game with a league game. I just don't think it's good. I don't think it's smart. You want to build up the league? The league's most impor- The league is the most important thing, so why would you play the first game of the year in the league? Makes no sense to me, end quote. Norlander, um, is Jim's criticism valid, or is this just Jim Beheim being Jim Beheim? It's definitely Beheim being Beheim, and I, did, I didn't ask him if he liked it or not because I knew he wouldn't like it. So uh, the question I posed to him, I said, Jim, is it beneficial for you and your team to open the season against a strong conference opponent uh, you know, for the long-term health of your team. And then he went off and said what he said there. I did also <laughs> – I, I could have answered that question. <laughs> yes. Hey, Matt, uh, yes, it, it's great for us to open against Tony Bennett <laughs> and the reigning national champions it, it, who, are new, who, who even if we shot it well, we're probably going to score 43 as opposed to 34. Yeah, wonderful, Norlander. Hey, <laughs> got, got what we got, though. We're talking about it. And I asked Tony the same thing. And Tony said, if you had asked me 24 hours ago, my answer would have been a little bit different. And and side note, also I said, Tony, did you, you did you use the fact that you were the reigning national champions and the schedule makers put you, not even just a conference game, they put you on the road against one of the you know more distinct um, you know tougher defensive opponents you could possibly face. Uh, he admitted that he thought about that a little bit, but that the, the staff didn't necessarily use that as a, as a huge motivating tool for this kind of group. He said this group is kind of a bit different, um, but that might have been the case last year with guys who definitely had an edge to them, and, and Jerome and Guy specifically. Uh, but with Beheim, does he have a point? Sure, from a coach's perspective, Parrish, he's got a point there. This, I also think, will be a one-time thing. I mean, before the, even the Syracuse game, uh, from my understanding, and maybe the ACC network winds up wanting to do this again, but I think there's been enough commotion from the coaching uh, fraternity to, to make sure this is only a one-year thing since this is the first year of the ACC network. Um, but I think it's good to have, like, I only went because it was the reigning champs at Syracuse. The game was conceivably in doubt going in. How is Virginia going to look without its three NBA players from a season ago? Uh, but coaches don't want anything to do with this. In fact, uh, what Beheim said Wednesday, Parrish, even tied back weirdly to what Cal said Tuesday night when Cal was trying to get us to push the Champions Classic back to how it used to be. These coaches want to play uh, one or a pair of games against 
by opponents, you know, the, the patsies from the lower conferences so that they can kind of just ease into the season. Uh, it's understandable why they would have that opinion because they, you know, they don't want to be tested right off the bat there because, as Beheim said, your offense sometimes needs a couple of games to even find itself in many instances. But I don't have an issue with it because it brings a little bit more intrigue overall. I mean, Wednesday we were completely void of any interesting college basketball. Or Thursday, I should say. We were void of any interesting college basketball whatsoever. So, you know, Virginia-Syracuse isn't going to go down as one of, like, the 20 must-watch games of November or anything like that. But I did like it. It is a little bit weird to have these conference games in November. But no matter what, they're at 20 games. The ACC, as is the Big Ten, SEC, you know, Pac-12, all these conferences. When UConn goes to the Big East, it's going to go to a 20-game schedule. Um, and what that is going to mean is having conference games, maybe not in to start the season, but squeaked in on the back end of November or particularly in, in December, getting a couple, that's never going to go away. I know coaches hate it, but that's that's the deal you make with the devil when you want to go to 20 games in these conferences and their television networks perish they want to make as much money because they need the inventory and they want to they want to sell that to advertisers there but uh i wasn't surprised by Beheim's comments um but uh, personally i guess i like it more than not even if it's a little bit weird but i'd rather have syracuse opening at home against a team like virginia than syracuse opening at home against binghamton or like last season eastern washington what say you um well first um, on the subject of there being no good games on Thursday, because, um, you know, I, I saw Jeff Goodman mention that as well, like he was complaining about it. It's because everybody played on Tuesday or Wednesday. I mean, like there, much, there, yes. there wasn't the, everybody you, you, you want to open your season as early as possible because th- those are just wasted days if you don't. And so everybody played on two. Basically, everybody played on Tuesday or Wednesday. So you know, they weren't going to turn around and play again on Thursday, Friday night, Saturday, we'll get some more compelling games, but um, I wasn't bothered by Thursday's lack of compelling basketball as much as, as some people. Um, You make a good point about opening with a league game. If anybody should have been upset about it, it shouldn't have been Jim Beheim. It should have been Tony Bennett. Like we're the reigning national champs. You're making us go on the road to start the season. I think you tweeted, it's the first time in 52 years yeah. the reigning national champ had to, had to start on the road. So if anybody was going to sit down and complain, and I guess you just don't complain, A, if you're Tony Bennett, he just doesn't really do that, right. or B, you don't complain after a 14-point win in a season-opening uh, road game. But if anybody had an issue, I think, with the ACC office, it would be Virginia, um, not Syracuse. Beyond that, listen, I, to state the obvious, I've never been a college basketball coach. So I perhaps I don't um, – properly grasp um, the issue that so many seem to have with opening um, with a relevant opponent. But why is this a thing in college basketball? And yet in in basically every other sport, you know, it's not. You know, like the, the, the Mets have to open next season against the Nationals. Imagine if Carlos Beltran got the job the other day and he's like, you know what? I, I just don't understand why Major League Baseball makes us open with the World Series champions. Um, and, and, you know, we got to face Max Scherzer on opening day. Like, why couldn't we get the Marlins or maybe even a double A team? It'd be like, what? In, in the NBA, you, you open against, uh, in some cases, because it's unavoidable, high level competition. In the NFL, same thing. NHL, same thing. College football will have big games on the opening weekend. Duke opens uh, against um, Kansas. Kentucky opens against Michigan State. 
Michigan State opens against Kentucky. Kansas opens against Duke. I, I don't understand, like, why it is such a non-starter for some coaches to actually play compelling basketball um, right from the jump, particularly when it is also the other team's first game. Now, um, right. tonight at the Naval Academy, Auburn and Davidson are going to play. It will be Auburn's second game, Davidson's first game. Perhaps there, um, Bob McKillop could say, listen, opening against Auburn, that's tough. And also, like, Auburn's already got one game under their belt. We don't. That, that places us at a disadvantage. But when it's, when it's your first game and somebody else's first game, um, I, I don't get the big issue with, you know, it's got to be Eastern Washington or somebody like Eastern Washington. For instance, uh, you and I were both up very, very late on Tuesday night. I, I went to bed like around 4.40, got up around Same. 6.40. I mean, I slept two hours, traveled home, and under. I promise you, if Syracuse was playing Eastern Washington, I would not have watched that game. I would have gone straight to bed. But because they were playing a relevant opponent, I watched the entire game. And I don't know whatever whatever drawbacks there might be um, to opening with a quality opponent if you are also a quality team. Um, I, I think the advantages for the sport outweigh um, the disadvantages because it does provide an interesting early matchup when we otherwise, if left up to coaches, we, we wouldn't have. I agree, and the, and the details that you laid out there with the, with the pro leagues, obviously there are you know official schedule makers in those that the coaches never have and never will, ha and the teams never have control over the schedule because it's, it's run by the leagues who are doing it with conjunction of television network contracts. So with, with in the NBA's case, with ESPN and with TNT, and in the NFL's case, with CBS and with Fox and, and, uh, and all of that. College basketball, college football is okay. I, w I don't want to give the sport too much credit, and I like me some college football plenty. You usually get a couple of good neutral site games in that first weekend, but college football's problem is actually, if you really look over in recent years, weeks two and three and sometimes four, usually two of those three weeks after the opening one, you've got just the dregs of it all. I mean, you've got power conference schools vying to get into the playoff eventually, playing schools amongst the likes of, you know, an East Tennessee State or a Wofford or something like that at, at, at that college football level, which I think is in some ways unavoidable, but also college football almost has this weird hitch and it's giddy up to start its season, whereas college basketball, you get the Champions Classic, then you get the tournament, so you've got, you've got good games uh, kind of spread throughout. I actually have always given the sport, I think, its due credit for how strong, relatively speaking, November is. It's not like we need a massive headlining game every single night of the, of, of the week. And as you pointed out, something like that on Thursday was inevitable. But when you get reactions like we got Parrish from Bayheim and other coaches that would that would react similarly, it's because they control the schedule. They always have. They always want to. And the reason why we are in this kind of situation is that college basketball, like college football, doesn't actually have a commissioner looking out for the the big picture well-being and benefit of the sport, I think it would benefit if you could do that. But I don't even know how you get all get your arms around all of that because, yeah, in a perfect world, college basketball for, you know, five, six, seven consecutive nights would have an undeniable headline matchup. You have to watch this kind of game. But given how scheduling works – we're just not going to get that. What we have now, I think, is plenty good. And as we're going to get to in a few minutes here, like this weekend slate going up against football is actually it's like fairly impressive overall, given the teams that are involved. But 
Beheim's going to react the way he reacts because coaches want to control their non-conference schedule as much as they can so they can get more wins. That helps their contract, obviously. That helps their career numbers there. And when you coach in the ACC and you've got to go against all these tough teams, eventually anyway, you want to try and minimize that as is. So I don't blame Beheim for saying what he said, but to me I'm just more interested when you can get top 50 type programs playing as often as possible in November. All right, let's move on. Cole Anthony had a historic debut at North Carolina earlier this week. We'll get into that next, but first, check this out. Hey, everybody, it's Frank Stanfield from Fantasy Baseball Today. Don't worry, Adam Azer isn't going anywhere, and neither is FBT. The MLB season is delayed, but that just gives us more time to deep-dive players, argue about rankings, and find this year's Cattell Marte. Regardless of what format you play in, Roto, Points, Keeper, Auction, Dynasty, we've got you covered. We're here for you five days a week, so make sure to download and subscribe to Fantasy Baseball Today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Sports may be taking a hiatus right now, but the fantasy football season never stops. And neither does the Fantasy Football Today podcast. We're giving you three episodes per week during the offseason with Dynasty Talk, Mock Drafts, NFL Draft Previews, and your emails and tweets. So download and subscribe to Fantasy Football Today wherever you listen to podcasts and start winning your fantasy league right now. So a night after possible number one overall pick, James Wiseman, got 28 points, 11 rebounds, and three blocks in just 22 minutes in his debut at Memphis. Possible number one overall pick, Cole Anthony, got 34 points, 11 rebounds, and five assists in 37 minutes in his debut uh, for North Carolina. He was 12 of 24 from the field, 6 of 11 from three. His 34 points were more points than any UNC freshman had ever previously scored in a debut. That includes Michael Jordan, Vince Carter, Jerry Stackhouse, Tyler Hansborough, Leaky Black, everybody. Norlander was Cole Anthony's debut, which came against real competition, specifically Notre Dame, a sign of things to come. Is he going to be college basketball's biggest individual attraction? It's looking like it. That's what I wrote on the site, I mean, at least a half dozen times in the preseason. I think I mentioned it on this podcast a couple of times as well, but I do love and I mean love that – I know Wiseman wasn't playing against – what was it, South Carolina State? Like, it was not – South pl- Carolina State. Woo! South Carolina State. Who's the coach at South Carolina State? I can't even tell you that. I know – do you know because they played them? Yeah, I, I, I only knew it because Memphis played them, and I've already forgotten it. <laughs> okay, so you knew it, and now you don't. Anyway, the point I'm making here is Wiseman had a great start. Tyrese Maxus we talked about on the previous podcast. I'm loving that right away we are having these – Big-time freshmen step in immediately, be impact players. I think Cole Anthony will be just the one that shines brightest because of the program he plays for, the role he's going to have, and how much they will rely on him more than Memphis will rely on Wiseman and more than Kentucky will rely on Maxie. And we'll wait and see what other freshmen step into this. I think it's going to be a fun year for freshmen. In fact, I think at this stage maybe we have uh, maybe under-hyped a little bit collectively how good the freshman class could be. How about this? How about a trivia time for you, GP? You ready? Okay, okay. Okay, okay. Trivia time. In the last 15 years, mm-hmm. only three Division One freshmen have had a game with at least 30 points, 10 rebounds, five assists, and five made three-pointers in that game. Cole Anthony, obviously one of them. Who were the other two? 
Devin Downey? No. These, these are gettable names. Leaky Black. <laughs> not Devin Downey. Not Leaky Black. Shouts to Devin Downey and Leaky Black. But no. Gettable names. You can get these. Um, 30 points, 10 rebounds. 30 points, 10 rebounds, five threes? And five assists in the same game. Only happened three times in the past 15 years. Cole Anthony is one of them. I, I have no idea. Gosh. Trey Co- Young. Kobe, Kobe White. Trey Young. Oh, yeah. Trey Young. Of oh, course. yeah. Oh, yeah. And then Steph Curry. And Steph Curry, sure. Very gettable. But you just, you just pulled the ripcord on that way too soon. Trey Young, Steph Curry, and Cole Anthony. And Cole That's Anthony, unlike the other two, does it in his first game against a power conference team. Extremely impressive. Went with, by the way, did you see he went with the rec specs to start? Yeah, that was uh, I kind, fine. I kind of like it. He got rid of him pretty quickly. I know, but I kind of like it. I need him to he bring him back. Hey, I got trivia time for you. Oh, boy. Okay, okay. Only two players have ever done what I'm about to describe. Okay. Averaged at least 20 points, at least five assists, while shooting at least 50% from the field in his first seven NBA games. Two people ever have done it. Name them. NBA? NBA. Kobe White? No. Okay. (laughs) 20 points. At least 20 points, at least five assists, while shooting at least 50% from the field through seven career games. How did you even come upon this? You'll know as soon as I tell you. Um... It's not Kobe White, huh? It's not, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> Is it future Leaky Black? It, probably. I mean, pro- he'll be the third, I would assume, but he's not there yet. Uh, Is one of them a currently a rookie? Yep. Is the other one a recent rookie? Nope. How old is the other one? Old enough to be called the GOAT. Jordan? Michael Jordan is one of them. Uh, ja Morant. And Ja Morant is Boom. the other. Ja. The Grizzlies have drafted the next Michael Jordan, and his name is Ja Morant. Averaging above 20 points, above five assists, shooting above 50% from the field through seven career games. All right, let's get back to Cole Anthony. What the hell does that have to do with Cole Anthony? I just wanted to brag about Ja Morant. Ja Morant. I love it, man. Love seeing just Ja being – Awesome right off the bat, no doubt about He's it. He's awesome. He's been awesome right off uh, the hey. bat. Oh, you, you want you want more John Morant stuff? I was going to say, college basketball podcast or not, like if we want to occasionally, you know, give shouts to John, like I, as far as I'm concerned, college basketball should still take some ownership over him. So I don't I don't oppose this whatsoever. Well, you know what? Sometimes like these players move on and you just college basketball fans just like it's so off the radar, particularly if they're playing for a bad team. And um, yes, we'll spend like one minute more on this, but John Morant has been awesome through seven games of his NBA career. Um, he is third in the NBA in fourth quarter points right now. James Harden and Damian Lillard are one and two, and third is John Morant. So he's he's already being awesome, just like Cole Anthony was awesome the other night. That's my way of circling back to him. What's interesting most about, about not just what Cole Anthony did, but the, like literally the first two days of the season. I was thinking about this the other day. So we spend the entire offseason talking about what's to come. And whether it's you and I or other people, there's, there, there starts to become a, a consensus opinion on things. Like, mm-hmm. 
Um, like Michigan State should be the number one team in the country and the favorite to win the national championship. Or Cassius Winston should be the preseason national player of the year. And yet, two days into the season, if I asked you right now who's your pick to win the national championship or right now who should be national player of the year, you probably, you might, I don't know what you'd say, but you might not say Michigan State and you almost certainly wouldn't say Cassius Winston. That's interesting. Yeah, uh, that's why I get concerned with groupthink when this happens almost every single preseason because usually that winds up being incorrect. But with Cole Anthony, albeit through one game, very much on the money there. Um, and I think what he did against Notre Dame will be a common occurrence. I, I do think from a usage standpoint, volume, uh, he is going to be that guy. I mean, Carolina was my pick to win the – or, you know, finish atop the league standings, if you will. I think they're going to wind up sharing that uh, with Virginia. But I couldn't have been uh, more pleased in seeing him do what he is doing. And through – granted, it's just one game, but I was looking before. How about this? So Ken, Ken Palm has his uh, player of the year standings. So Cole Anthony is currently number one. Here, here's, here's the top ten through three days' worth of data. Cole Anthony one, Tyrese Maxey two, Cassius Winston three, Marcus Howard, who had like 37 or something, I yeah. think. He had a really I good game. I think it was 38, 37 or 38. Yeah, uh, he's four. Jordan War at Louisville who had a good game at Miami is five. Marco, Marcus Santos Silva. If I gave you a hundred guesses, could you tell me who Marcos Marcus Santa Marcus Dude. Santos Silva plays for? You you act like I don't sit in studio Woo! for for a ten showdown. There you go. You know what you're doing. VCU. He's a, he's a VCU I Ram. One of six. One of uh, the the one of the top six scores from last season's team to return to this season's VCU team. VCU, the only team in the country to win its league last season by multiple games and return the top six score. Don't ever question me about the Rams again. You sound like a man that might have emceed an Atlantic 10 Media Day event. <laughs> you're talking to the A-10 Media Day MC. And you're going to ask me who Marcus Santos Silva is? Get Se- out of my face. Seven is Peyton Pritchard. Eight is Trey Jones. Nine, I don't even know how this is possible, but Elijah Hughes out of Syracuse <laughs> is the ninth most important player through three days, according to Ken Palm's Player of the Year algorithm. And then Kihei Clark coming in. At number 10. Um, but, yeah, no, Cole Anthony being awesome. Wiseman, Maxi, loving all of that. Eager to see what they do uh, in the games to come. But a good thing for college hoops just to have those high-profile guys immediately have really good games. They are already uh, must-watch. Okay, so this is the Friday podcast. And in November, the schedule is kind of weird. Not our schedule. We're going to be here every Friday. But the, the bas- college basketball schedule is kind of um, – it's not unusual because it, it is exactly the same every November, but it's unusual in the sense that we're used to watching college basketball games on Saturdays and Sundays, and yet Fridays are and Fridays during most of the season are, are pretty – like there's not much going on. But in November, there are more – like I think there's 11 ranked teams playing on Friday and only six playing on Saturday, and it just comes down to, to, to television, like college football – gets prioritized for for tv on saturday so it's tough to get on tv if you're a basketball team on saturday so you you play you play friday and also like these schools don't want uh, their fans having to choose between basketball games and football games. right so you you put them on 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 different days and so um what we're going to do on the friday podcast every day toward the end is we will highlight five games uh, and then we will pick them against the spread and if Norlander wants to actually keep up with the records, he can. I don't think. Oh, I'm I'll keep. Have. I'm keeping up with this. 
Okay. I'm keeping up. Our favorite five. Let's let's just call it the favorite five. Hashtag favorite five. I just <laughs> I came off the top of my head. I don't know. If you it sounds like it came off the top of your head. It's a good starting point, and perhaps it it'll be where we land. But for now, sure. Okay. Um, favorite five. Is that what we just said? Sure. Or the fave five. F A F A V F I V E. Okay. okay, so five games. Uh, we'll pick them against the spread every Friday. I um, will be in charge of picking out the games because I'm the one in charge of scripting this, uh, however much we script it. So we'll start Friday, 6 o'clock Eastern, number 24 Auburn against Davidson. That's in the Veterans Classic. You can watch that on the CBS Sports Network. I will be in studio um, at the CBS Broadcast Center for pregame, halftime, postgame, whatever else. Again, uh, Auburn uh, against Davidson. It's at the U.S. Naval Academy. Auburn. Minus one and a half, Norlander Pickett. Uh, for, yeah, and by the way, let's do this, by the way, going forward. I don't want to know the games ahead of time. That way we can have some fun with this. So, because um, so, I actually don't, I mean, I got an idea, but whatever. Okay, uh, this is a good game. Side note. Really good. This is like a high-quality game. Again, 6 o'clock, Friday night, CBS Sports Network. Uh, I got Davidson ahead of Auburn in my 1-3-53. to This is a neutral court game. I got to go, and Auburn rates as the better team uh, at Ken Palm right now, but I'm going to go Davidson here. I'm going to go Davidson uh, to cover. I'll say Davidson, like, give me Davidson, like 79, 73. Bob McKillop, this could be a top three team that he's had. Uh, I'm intrigued to see what Auburn is. You know, we talk so much about Virginia, reigning title, how they come off off that season. Auburn coming off, you know, just a completely devastating loss in the final four. You know, so what will they look like after losing some NBA talent there? Uh, I think they'll be good. I think they'll get to the tournament, but I think Davidson's the better team. So give me Bob McKillop. Obviously, Auburn lost most uh, or lost some of, lost the best players off of last season's team, but they still bring back five. Okay, so they they played Virginia in the Final Four. They used eight players in that game. Five, five no, um, eight players played double digits in that game, double digits minutes, yeah. and they returned five of those eight. So they're missing. You know, Jared Harper, again, they're best players, but there's still a lot of pieces back from a team that won a whole bunch of games. That's This this game, by the way, opened Auburn minus three, so it's been moved down to Auburn minus one and a half, whatever you want to make of that. Um, I've got Auburn ahead of Davidson in the top 25 and one, but I do have Davidson also in the top 25 and one. So for my purposes, it's a game between two ranked teams. Um, I'm, I'm the Atlantic 10 media day. Yeah, hey, you are. I, I don't know how I could pick against Davidson given that reality. So um, I'll take Davidson plus the one and a half. We'll agree on that one. Friday, 7 o'clock Eastern, Colorado State at number four, Duke. Duke is a 24-point favorite in Orlando Pickett. Colorado State at Duke? I mean, first of all, Colorado State's got a dude that you recently discovered. Nico Carvalho, you are acting like I don't sit in studio and provide halftime commentary on Mount West games. <laughs> I believe it was in a text message two weeks ago where you were like, wait a second, Nico Carvacho led the, led the nation in rebounding last season. Should have been like our 60th ranked player on our top 101. We had him way too low. He is kind of Nico Carvacho averaged 16.1 points, 12.9 rebounds last season, and now he's going into Cameron Indoor Stadium. Watch out. Yeah, random Friday night game for Duke. Um, what was that line? 24. No. I'm riding with Nico Medved and his Rams. I'm riding <laughs> with the Rams to cover that. Yeah, 
for sure. Give me Duke to win. But give me Duke to win like 79-66. Predict the Nico Carvacho stat line. Ooh, that's actually that's a good that's a good one cuz he's going he's listen, he's going against big boy there in Vernon Carey who told me when he played Yudoka Azabuki on uh on Tuesday night that that was by far the most physical player he had ever gone against. Like he said, you know, th- that was my welcome to college moment. <laughs> like I had never faced a dude that strong before. And uh, I don't think Nico is quite as strong as Doke, but he's 6'11", 250. So it's going to be another rough game for Vernon Carey. I'll say Nico, 18 points, 14 boards. Woo, I'll say, I'll go Nico, 21 points, 13 rebounds. Duke wins the game, but Colorado State covers. Friday, 9.30 Eastern. This is a good one, too. Washington against number 16, Baylor. It's in Anchorage, Alaska. Baylor, a five-point favorite. You ever been to Alaska? I have never been to Alaska. Same. I'd like to get there. That's uh, that's definitely on the to-get-to list. Yeah, Anchorage. Seems like, a, seems like a long way to go to just be cold. Well, you can go in June. It's not going to be cold in June. I'm busy in June. Are you? Not really. No, not really. <laughs> Alaska, generally intriguing. Would like to would like to go to Alaska. That's all I'm saying. Um. This is super intriguing. Uh, Washington has some fun talent. Quade Green is going to be uh, eligible here. And how good Washington is this season could ultimately come back to if Quade Green can make uh, a noticeable jump from the player uh, that he was at Kentucky. Baylor considered to be maybe the second-best team in the Big 12 to Kansas. Maybe we wind up finding out that Baylor can be just as good as Kansas. I don't know. We'll wait and see. Um, Tristan Clark... Not really much of a factor in Baylor's game against the Central Arkansas Bears. A 105-61 win for Baylor on Tuesday in the first game of the season, just so you know. But I will take, hmm, what was that line again? Baylor minus five. Yeah, I'm going to take Washington. I'll take Washington to cover but lose. Give me Baylor 68-65. I have long been the president of the Scott Drew fan club. Way before it was cool to be the president of the Scott Drew Band Club. I'm going to go Baylor minus five, but I do like this Washington team, or I, I like the makeup of the Washington team. I mean, you got two, and I said this, I believe, on the last podcast, two projected, or, or two podcasts ago, or a recent podcast, two projected lottery picks plus a dude who used to start at Kentucky. Like, that's a, that's a pretty nice roster. And so um, I do think Washington's going to be very, very good. If 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 I had a top twenty five and two, Washington would probably be twenty seven right now. Um, but um, I will take Baylor to 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 win the game. Baylor minus five. We'll move on to Saturday, okay. seven o'clock Eastern. This is a good one. Texas at number twenty three. Purdue. There is no line posted yet, so I just took the Ken Palm projection, and I would think the line is going to be a little lower than this. But Ken Palm has a projected Purdue minus nine. Yeah, that's a lot. Do we, by the way, so it's, do we know why, like, I, maybe you know this, a listener will know this, but I don't, I've actually never researched as to why this is. <clears throat> maybe it's because of time between games, but I don't even think that's it. Like the NFL, when the games end Sunday, the lines for the next week are available. But in college basketball, you don't get the lines until 24 hours usually before the games get played. GP, do you know why that is? 
nope, no idea. No idea. But that is it's usually the lines will come out late the night before the late the day prior. Someone who's a complete degenerate, please tweet at us, let us know and we'll uh maybe we'll talk about it and give a reason why on the next podcast. But I've actually wondered why that is the case cuz I'm surprised that the line for Texas Purdue is not actually out yet. But Ken Palm as a general rule, um the lines are usually within uh, a point, definitely almost always within two points. It's rare that you'll get more than a two-point difference in spread between the Ken Palm projection and what the line winds up being. So we'll go with Purdue minus nine. That being said, I will take Texas here. I don't think there is... I don't think we'll come to find that there's too much difference between Texas and Purdue at the end of the season. This is a road game. Tasty one. Hey, I love it. <clears throat> two power conference teams uh, playing in an on-campus environment. That's going to be a tough task for, uh, for Texas. I don't think it'll win, but I will take... If we're going to go in minus nine... Uh, GP, give me Shaka's Longhorns to win this. I'll go Purdue along the lines of, say, 75 to, to 69. Uh, so Purdue to win, but Texas to cover. Yeah, I, I think Purdue wins the game because the game's being played um, you know, in West Lafayette. If this game were to be playing in Austin, I, I think Texas would win the game. Um, I'll take Purdue to win it, but if you're going to give me Texas plus nine, I'll take Texas plus nine. Uh, one note, um, in UT's opener, Andrew Jones got 20 points in 29 minutes. That was uh, just terrific to see. Um, I remember talking to Shaka about him, I guess, at USA Basketball in late July, early August, whenever we were there, and um, he, he, he was encouraged by what he was seeing. Obviously, this is a young man who you know, battled leukemia, and when you uh, battle leukemia, um, getting on the back on a basketball court and performing at a high level is like way low on the on the list of of things you're dreaming about, hoping for. Um, he, he's healthy, obviously. That's the most important thing. But um, healthy plus being a um, a productive college basketball player, just awesome, awesome stuff. So um, I didn't see Texas opener, but I'll have a chance to watch this one. Um, looking forward to seeing Andrew Jones on the court again, performing uh, Purdue to win the game, sure. But Texas plus nine, if I can get that, that's what I'll take. We'll wrap it with this one. Saturday, 11 p.m. Eastern, mm. Boise State at number 15, Oregon. Oregon minus 11. Look at you. This one's way off the board. I like it. Leon Rice's Broncos. Who? What would you call them, the Bulls, like a month ago? Yeah, Bulldogs, know. maybe Boise State Bulldogs. <laughs> I don't know what was going on with that. Um, 11 o'clock. 11 o'clock tip on a Saturday on Pac-12 Network. What are we doing here? Um, Got no chance of seeing that. <laughs> Zero. If you, if you offered me $500 to, to, to figure out how to watch that game, it'd just be I just you just have to keep your money. Uh, all right. I'll go with Oregon to win there. My uh, direct TV bill is $400 a month. I cannot watch the Pac-12 Network. It's impossible. <laughs> it's just so stupid. Um, yeah, give me Oregon to to win and to cover 11 points is not insignificant. I actually think Boise State will be a clear-cut top three team in the Mountain West this season. But at this point, I, I would trust the Ducks to, to get somewhat of a blowout win. I'll take uh, Oregon will win the game, but Boise State plus 11. I'll take Boise State plus 11. It'll be a single-digit Oregon victory. That'd be good enough for Boise State to cover. So those are the picks of the five games coming up on Friday night 
and uh, Saturday. And like I said, every single Friday we'll, 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 we'll carve out five games. And really, in addition to like picking them, who cares? Like yeah. it gives us an opportunity to talk briefly, hopefully, yeah. um, about five different games. Just sort of touch on five things that, that should be interesting from, from the weekend. So with that, shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry, MF, and Teagle. He's a legend. Shouts to Larnell. And please. Go subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcasts. It, it really does help us. So, yes, um, um, for selfish reasons, I'd love for you to do it. But it also is um, beneficial because it will ensure um, the episodes. Because we, we do record on the same days basically every week. But it's not going to be the same times every week. We both have wild schedules and we have to coordinate when we can get together. So it's not like I can tell you every Friday at noon, you know, it'll be ready. We don't know, but it will shoot right into your phone. Um, if you are a subscriber to the Iron College Basketball Podcast. Um, throughout the season, we will be recording on Sundays, on Wednesdays, and on Fridays. So go subscribe if you get a chance. While you're there, rate it favorably uh, five stars. And if you can leave a nice comment, that would be awesome as well. So please go do that, and then we will talk to you again uh, on Sunday after uh, two more days of basketball. Until then, take care. The world of golf is on hiatus, but thankfully for you, the First Cut podcast crew is not. Join Mark Immelman, Kyle Porter, Greg Ducharme, and myself, Rick Gaiman, as we keep you informed and entertained through this unprecedented time. No tournament, no problem. We're still coming at you three times a week during these trying times. Tune in as we bring you weekly news, rewatches, interviews, and trivia. What are you waiting for? Come join our group and let's talk golf. Download and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere else podcasts are found.